الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والسيد المرسلين وشفيع المذنبين سيدنا ونبينا ابي القاسم محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعلى ال بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين المذلومين المنتجبين لا سيما مولانا وسيدي صاحب الاسر والزمان روحي وارواح العالمين له الفداح واجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف ولانه دائمه على اعدائهم ومنكر فضائلهم للان الى قيام يوم الدين اما بعد رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي for the hastening of the return of our 12th imam imam al hujjah one salawat upon muhammad wa ali muhammad First off let me mention it's good to see Sheikh Hasnain back with us this evening and being a former madrasa student of his it's humbling to have my teacher in the audience this evening with us tonight and also his respected wife uh this evening I want to actually continue in our discussion that we began this month of Ramadan where we were looking at chapter number 68 of the Quran surah al-Qalam and we have only a few more discussions left and I wanted to try and conclude this surah uh in the few next few sessions on Thursday nights that we have um and obviously as all of the ayat of the Quran are important we had gone through a lot of different discussions in surah al-qalam up until this point and these last three discussions meaning for tonight and our following two uh we'll look at a few very interesting and important and very pertinent points in our day-to-day life tonight we want to look at the topic of different punishments that Allah sends upon humanity Next uh in our next session just as a as a note we want to look at Nabi Yunus uh and how he is related to this surah and how Allah re- refers to him. And the last discussion which is about the last verse of this chapter will probably be of something of interest uh because it talks about the topic of the evil eye what we call this concept of najr how people have evil eye on one another and We'll try to investigate that does this concept actually exist within Islam within the other scriptures and also what if anything does science the you know the the modern scientists say about this concept of an evil eye. But for tonight I want to look at just a few verses um verses 42 and onwards about this concept or the the topic in surah al-qalam about the various punishments that Allah has put in store for various groups of individuals. And if you recall from our previous sessions in the surah that there was top there was a talk about different groups of people there were the people of taqwa people of piety and then Allah spoke about those who were the impious individuals and so in this discussion we want to focus on those who were of the latter group those who were the impious individuals and as Allah begins in verse 42 he says bismillahir rahmanir rahim yawma yukshafu ansaq وَيُدْعَوْنَ إِلَى السُّجُودِ فَلَا يَسْتَتِعُونَ On the day, meaning on the day of judgment, when there shall be a severe affliction, and all of humanity will be called upon to prostrate, to go into sajda, but some of them will not be able to. And then Allah says, خَاشِيَةً أَبْسَارُهُمْ تَرْحَقْهُمْ ذِلَّةً وَقَدْ كَانُوا يُدْعَوْنَ إِلَى السُّجُودِ وَهُمْ سَالِمُونَ their looks will be cast down their eyes will be cast down in humiliation will overtake them and they were called to prostrate while they were safe meaning while they were in the life of this world however they refused 
So there are a few different issues that I want to bring up in this particular verse that are of interest and that hopefully have a, you know, an, an, a better appreciation when we go through this. The one thing is that Allah talks about here is on the day of judgment that there will be a unique event that will transpire. Now Allah says in the actual Arabic says, Yukshafu ansak. Literally, if you look at other translations of the Qur'an, this is translated as the day when the shin will be made bare. You know, so if you have pants on and you were to lift up your pants, you would see the shin of your, of your leg. That's the literal translation of this particular verse. Unfortunately, when some Muslim commentators, not the followers of Ahlul Bayt, but the other schools of Islam, when they looked at this particular portion of the verse, some of them, for example, in Sahih Bukhari, there's actually a hadith, there's a tradition which the non-Shia uh, Muslims quote, that on the day of judgment, Allah will lift up His clothing, and His shin will be seen by all of humanity. And then people will go into sajda because they're looking at the leg of Allah. Na'udhu billah. Obviously, we do not ascribe anthropomorphism. We don't give Allah body parts. Allah says in the Quran, for example, Yadullahi foka aidihim. Allah's hand is above their hand. But we don't say Allah has a hand like you and I. Allah talks about Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. And Allah tells Nabi Nuh, build the ark under our eyes. But we don't believe Allah has eyes or looks like you and I. He doesn't glance at things like you and I do. So here when Allah says that on that day when the, as He says, Yukshafu ansak, that the shin will be made bare, we as the followers of Ahlul Bayt salam, we don't say that Allah has a shin or He has a foot or that He sits on a throne as some Muslims ascribe to Him. And some of the hadith are very descriptive unfortunately. They say that Allah sits on a throne and He's so overweight that His stomach goes over the side of the throne. Obviously we do not accept these sorts of definitions of Allah. And so when commentators went to see what does it mean that this shin will be made bare, they mention, and there's a hadith from Ibn Abbas where he would say that Anytime confusion arises in your mind when you read the Qur'an and you can't understand, he would say that one of the sources to go to is the poetry of the Arabs. And I'll give one example and also some uh, traditions about this. But basically there would be a tradition or a custom within the Arabs because they wear those, the khanzu, the dishdash, which is long, goes down to the ankle. And anytime they were in difficulty or they had something urgent to do in a hurry, Obviously you can't run with that on. So they would lift it up and tie it around their waist. And so their leg would be made, you could see their legs, the shin, and the calf, and the front of the leg. And so that was an expression used at the time of the Arabs, that when you had something important to do, when some important task would come up, you would literally be bearing your shin because of the fact that you would lift up your clothing and you would be in a hurry to get something done. So when Allah says, يَوْمَ يُكْشَفُ ansak," That when Allah, when it says again, when this shin will be made apparent, what the literal meaning is, and this is just a figure of speech, just like we have in English, we have many figures of speech that we use which are not literal. You know, somebody says that, that guy ran and you know, he runs as fast as a bullet. Well, he's not running as fast as a bullet in reality, but we use those kinds of examples in English to convey something of great importance. 
So when Allah says on that day, when this shin will be made bare, what He's saying, it's a day of great affliction, great difficulty, a day of great tribulation for everybody who will be present on the day of judgment. And then we see that not only did Ibn Abbas quote these poetry from the Arabs who would use this uh, theme of the shin in meaning of importance, but we have also obviously a hadith that speak about this, that Allah doesn't have body parts, that we can attribute such things to Him. Another part of the verse then Allah says that people will be called to do sajda. And a group of people, Allah says, فَلَا يَسْتَتِعُونَ Some people will not be able to go into sajda. So one of the questions that sometimes people have asked myself and many other scholars I'm sure, is that we are told that on the day of judgment and after this world, there is no ibadat. So for example, when you and I go to Jannah inshallah, there's no namaz in Jannah, there's no prayers, there's no fasting, there's no hajj, there's no khums, there's no charity in Jannah. Because all of those actions are for this dunya, for this world. This is the world where we work. And the next world is the world where we get our rewards from Allah. So why would Allah say on that day, people will be told to go into sajda, and some people will not be able to. And again here when we look at the commentators from the Ahlul Bayt alayhum they tell us that it won't be that we will be doing an act of sajda or namaz or prayers on that day, but rather that there will be a manifestation of the nur of Allah, and out of the humbleness that we have, because we were people who were habituated to praying, we spent our life in this dunya, in ibadat of Allah, in prayers, in other acts of worship. On that day of judgment, when we're in the presence of the Almighty, and this nur becomes evident for us, we will automatically go into sajda, because it was a trait of us in this dunya. It was a trait of the believers to go into prostration, to worship Allah, to adore Allah. And so for those who were habituated, who for those who was easy for them to pray and to worship Allah in this world, for them it will be very easy on the Day of Judgment, even though it's not a form of namaz or prayers, to humble themselves in front of Allah. But those who didn't worship Allah, who were arrogant, who were proud, who didn't give Allah that due reverence that He deserves, that's why Allah says, فَلَا يَسْتَتِعُونَ That those people will not be able to submit or prostrate to Allah on that particular day. Then Allah says, خَاشِيَةً أَبْسَارَهُمْ تَرْحَكَهُمْ That they will look down, they will cast their glance down, <coughs> humiliation will overtake them. And scholars give us this understanding how even in the life of this world, you know, if you watch television for example, if you watch these TV shows where people go into, into a courtroom, Judge Judy and TV shows like this, and even if you've maybe been or you've seen an actual court proceeding, one of the things that you see when a person is found guilty of a crime, in most cases is they will look down, they will be upset, they will have grief because now their verdict has been passed and maybe they're spending 20, 30, 40, 50 years in prison. And so it's natural when somebody is guilty of a crime, they're a criminal, those who have some ounce of, you know, some ounce of concern in them, who feel that remorse, that they will show that way of grief by looking down to the ground. And so Allah says that on that day, those who weren't able to go into prostration, 
that they will be so humiliated, so abased, that they will just you know, put their glance down to the earth, humiliated, embarrassed for their state that they are now working and going towards the fires of hell. And as Allah says that they were invited, وَكَانُوا يُدْعَوْنَا إِلَى السُّجُودِ That they were invited when they were in this dunya, we were all invited to submit to Allah, but they did not want to. You know, none of us are forced to worship Allah. We're not compelled. We all worship Allah on our own volition because we believe in Allah. We accept Rasulullah. We believe in His message. So we, you know, on our own accord, we have submitted to Allah. There are other people out there as we know who don't believe in Allah, who don't believe in God in any form. They completely are, you know, atheists. They reject any notion of a supreme creator. And so Allah says that these are the people who when they had an opportunity, they did not take that opportunity in their life. And so now on the day of judgment, obviously their predicament will be of the utmost of difficult situations that people will face on that day. Allah then says, addressing Rasulullah, He says, فَذَرْنِي وَمَنْ يُكَذِّبُ بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ So then, O Muhammad, Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. He says, leave me and that person who rejects this announcement, this Qur'an. It bugged the Prophet, it hurt Rasulullah, that people did not believe in him. You know, even when we looked at the birth of Rasulullah this past Sunday, we mentioned how even in surah number 9, surah Tawbah, Allah says that, He's harisun alaykum bil mu'mineen. Ra'ufur Rahim, that the Prophet has a concern for the community, for humanity. Right? He was worried about the people. He was worried about the Arabs, the, the pagan Arabs. He had a concern for them. But now Allah says, you know what? Forget about it. They're not going to believe if they don't want to believe. You could bash your head against the rock a million times, but they're not going to accept your message. So Allah says, فَذَرْنِي just leave it alone, I will take care of that. I will take care of those who reject this particular message. And then Allah says, min yalamun," That we will overtake them by degrees from where they perceive not. I want to spend a few minutes on this term, what Allah calls this istidraj. Where Allah says, min yalamun." This is a, a, a topic that I've alluded to in the past in one of our lectures. And it's a vast area of discussion. I don't have time to really go into the entire uh, gambit of what this concept of istidraj is. But to give it in a nutshell, and I'll give you one hadith from the sixth imam about it. Istidraj is a concept which we have in our religion, in which Allah will continue to give people blessings, barakah, ni'mat, even though they are breaking Allah's rules. Even though somebody might be committing sins, committing haram, breaking Allah's rules, not following religion, not praying as a Muslim, it is still very well possible Allah will continue to give them blessings, barakat, ni'mat. This is what we call, in the, what the theologians call istidraj. That Allah continues to give and to give and to give, even though we break Allah's rules. Now it seems like a bit of a paradox, because traditionally we've been taught in madrasa, 
And we traditionally hear that if you're good, Allah gives you. If you're bad, Allah takes away. And that's the general principle, which is correct, it's all well and good. But there is also this concept of istidraj, where Allah will sometimes give people who are breaking His rules, not because it's a form of blessings or barakat for them, not that He likes them to break His rules, to go against the orders of the universe, to go against the rules of society. But sometimes He does it just to, you know, it's, it's a form of a, it's like a continuous punishment. And sometimes we wonder, maybe in our own lives, that Allah is giving me barakat, He's giving me blessings. I've got a good job, I've got a good family, I've got all of these material blessings. Is Allah giving me because I am close to Him? Or is Allah giving me because I am a bad person? And obviously, you know, nobody can judge except the individual themselves at level one. But if a person sees within themselves that they are committing sins, they're not following the obligations, and yet Allah continues to bless them, then they should realize that maybe they fall into this category of istidraj, that Allah is allowing them that free reign to do as they wish until His hammer comes down. On the other side, if somebody sees that they are doing the obligations, and they're fulfilling the covenant with Allah, and they're being blessed, then obviously they should realize that this is a blessing from Allah. But at the same time, let me mention that we as a community, as human beings, we should never presume that somebody who has blessings, wealth as an example, a, a, a happy family life, um, has everything going for them, so to speak, that we look at them, we, that we should not see those sorts of people as being close to Allah. And at the same time, when we see people who are facing difficulties in life, who have health issues, who have challenges, who maybe lost their job, who are going through difficulties, we shouldn't presume them to be on the bad side of Allah, that they're being punished. right? So people who have everything, we should not think that they are loved by Allah. And people who are suffering, we should not think that they are being punished by Allah for sins. Right? Again, because istidraj can mean that Allah is giving somebody as a form of punishment. And when we go through difficulties in life, we have health issues, right? we have many problems that we as individuals go through, it's very well possible, if not a reality, that this is an imtihan, a test from Allah. That how will we deal with this? Because as we know, as the Qur'an tells us so many times, that this life is a test. Right? In Laylatul Qadr, when we recite from the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Anqabut, we say, حَسِبَ nas أَن يَتْرُكُوا أَن يَكُولُوا أَمَنَّا وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ Do people think that they will be left alone, saying that I believe and that they would never be tested? So having health issues, having you know, financial issues, having family issues, these are not always to be thought of as being an adab or a punishment from Allah. Rather, they can be an imtihan or an examination from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Salu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. <coughs> Let me show you a hadith here from the sixth Imam, Imam Jafar as Sadiq alayhi salam, where he speaks about this. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. 
The sixth Imam says that sometimes when a recalcitrant servant of Allah, recalcitrant somebody who commits sins, sometimes when a recalcitrant servant of Allah performs a sin, Allah gives him a blessing. And this person then falls into negligence about the sin committed. And they forget to turn back to Allah in repentance. And this is what is meant by istidraj or the grades and stages of tribulations and punishments. So in this hadith which is mentioned in Majma al-Bayan and which Ayatollah Nas al-Maqarim quotes in his tafsir namuna in the commentary of this verse, he shows us that the sixth Imam tells us that this is what istidraj is. That sometimes we continue to, be get, to continue to get blessings by Allah, from Allah, and we forget the sins that we're falling into, and we go deeper and deeper into the valley of sins. And he says that this is what Allah refers to as istidraj, this gradual gradation and stages of going further and further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last verse or portion which we'll recite and complete tonight is where Allah says in verse 45, lahum, inna kaydi mateen. And I, Allah, do tolerate and bear with them in patience, but realize that my plan is firm. So we see this in the world today. We've seen people like Hitler, like Stalin, like Saddam, so many people who have come in the past who have been murderers, killers, people who have destroyed lives of millions of people. And Allah says, deal, let me deal with it. He tells Rasulullah, I'll deal with these individuals. You know, give me some time, have patience. And Allah says, I will deal with these kinds of people. Allah has a plan, obviously. And He says that that plan of His is firm, it's something which is fixed. It's something that Allah will enact when He sees time to be right. Sometimes, you know, in our own personal lives, we see that we're facing problems. Many times people have, again, issues at home, issues with their family, issues with their health, with their loved ones. And we wonder, what's happening? Why does all of these problems come on me at one time? I can't bear it. Right? But we have to realize that Allah has a plan, there is a wisdom of what's happening in the world. We should look into ourselves to re make sure that we are on the right path, that we're not doing anything against the laws of Allah, that we bear the difficulty with patience. Keeping in mind that patience doesn't mean that we give up. Patience or sabr doesn't mean that we just give up and deal with the problems. We go on in life, we deal with the challenges, we make the best of what we're going through. But we re realize that Allah will eventually get us out of that difficulty that we find ourselves in. Let me conclude with a few points that we can reflect upon in these few passages that we've looked over tonight. Number one is that the day of judgment and the rewards or punishments thereafter, these are a manifestation of the actions which we perform in this world. So if we want a good time in the, in the qabr, in the barzakh, if we want to have a good time and not have punishments on the day of judgment and the outcomes, then that comes from our own actions. It comes from our own doing of goodness. We can't blame anybody else on the day of judgment, even the Quran says, or Iblis, Shaitan says, don't blame me, blame yourselves, Shaitan will tell us on the day of judgment. He will say to Allah that I 
only invited them to commit sins. I didn't force them to do it. So as believers, we are accountable for our own destiny. Heaven and hell are made by each and every one of us, by our own choices that we make in this world. Number two is that those who do not want to voluntarily submit to Allah in this world, they should realize that on the day of judgment, they will have a forced humiliation and an embarrassment on that day. So those who feel that they're too proud to worship Allah, or they want to worship Allah how they want to worship, and not how Allah wants that worship, Allah says that your punishment, your humiliation will begin on the day of judgment, and then well beyond that. Number three is we said in the courts of if in, if the courts of this world do not catch the guilty, then the court of the next world definitely will. Today, many people get left with you know an, a, a very small sentence for their crime. Somebody kills millions of people and they're sentenced even to the death penalty. It doesn't pay for the millions of people that they have hurt. So we realize that the dunya, the world that we live in, our system of justice is still imperfect. It's not a complete level of justice. Even what Mukhtar did after Karbala was not the you know, ultimate epitome of justice. That can only be given by Allah on the Day of Judgment and well beyond. And to conclude these last few points, denial of the Qur'an as Allah talked about, this denial of this hadith as He says, and the denial of the content of the Qur'an is a sin for non-Muslims and Muslims alike. Sometimes we are in the same routine. How many times have we heard Muslim sisters say, hijab is not a Qur'anic concept. And you bring ayat and say, look, here's concepts of hijab in the Qur'an, and we deny it. I've heard people say, well, this is a, you know, a, uh, a concept for back then, for the 7th century. There's no applicability to hijab today. These verses are outdated. To deny that is a dhururiyat of the religion. To deny the Qur'an as a Muslim, to say, you know what, khums is there in the Qur'an, but I don't believe it's applicable because I pay... GST, I pay federal tax, I don't believe this concept of the khums, so it's not applicable today. This is to deny the Qur'an, and this is a sin. It's equivalent to denying the entire messengership of Rasulullah at one level. Number five is that we as believers should never be quick to judge. We see somebody with power in the community, somebody with wealth, somebody with you know lots of children, because that's sometimes a sign of Somebody who's you know, being blessed by Allah. Because sometimes we have that narrow-minded mentality. Husband and wife can't conceive a child. What did they do wrong? Why are they being deprived of a child? Right? Sometimes people have a large family. We say, MashaAllah, Allah must you know, love them. They've been given so many children. But we should never use that thought pattern to judge others. Because blessings aren't always because of our good actions. They can be an examination from Allah. And last but not least is that God's plans, Allah's plans don't manifest immediately. Sometimes He gives us time to turn back to Allah before the punishment will come. And even not the punishment, sometimes we make dua, and I'll end with this point. Sometimes you and I, you and I make dua. We make dua for things of ourselves, for our family, for our community. And sometimes those du'as don't manifest right away. It might be accepted by Allah. You might have made a du'a tonight, this Thursday, 
But don't expect that immediately it'll be resolved tomorrow. It might take a month, three months, six months, a year. It could take maybe uh, you know fifty years for a dua that you made today to actually. Sorry. It might happen like that. No, that wouldn't happen. Well, it might happen. Something, it might happen, right? Like the young man says, it might just like that, it might happen. It's very well possible. Allah, because Allah can do anything, right? If He wanted to, if you made a dua and Allah really wanted to give you that thing today, He could do it. Because in Allah, Allah kulli shay'in khadir. Exactly. So Allah has power over everything. But we should realize if I make a dua today, and it doesn't happen tomorrow or the week after, that don't give up hope. I know a person who told me one time that he made a particular dua. And he made that dua out of the bottom of his heart as he told me. And it took him over nine years for that dua to come to fruition. Nine years. And he never forgot that he made that dua. It was still there. But it took nine years of him building himself up, building the, the skills and the tools that he needed and eventually that dua he made came to fruition. So, if we have a dua, we should not give up hope that Allah forgot about me. No, Allah didn't forget about us. He would never forget about us. He says, Ud'uni, astajib lakum, call upon me, I will answer you. But sometimes, it's not in our best interest right then to have our duas accepted. Could you imagine if we were going home tonight and we got to the intersection on 34th Avenue, and it's red for us and green for the other people. If we made a dua, Ya Allah, let the light turn green. And the people coming northbound also made the same dua, let the light turn green. Everybody has green lights, there will be an accident in the intersection. So we have to wait our turn, let the people cross, and then the light turns green, then we get to go. If Allah answered everybody's duas at one time, it would be chaos on earth. Because he would pray for something and that person would pray for the opposite. And it wouldn't work. So as we conclude, we just ask Allah that we are able to make the du'as to Allah, that we can actually submit to Allah, that we can be humble before Allah, that we can be humble before Rasulullah and the family of the Prophet. We ask Allah to forgive us any of our sins. We ask Allah to absolve us of any of our shortcomings. We ask Allah to grant us and our families and our children the safety and protection in these akhirah zaman, in these latter days, where our iman is being tested on a day-to-day -day basis. We ask Allah that, as we announced even the other day, that Sister Nadia, who has been missing for a week from her family, just today I watched her husband on TV, appealing for some hope for her to be found, that as we know last Friday, the sister from our Lebanese community went missing in Edmonton, Till today she hasn't been found. Her husband, her family are all making dua. On this blessed night we ask Allah by the right of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad salam that Allah brings her back safely to her family, to her husband, to her children, to her community. And last but not least we ask Allah to alleviate the suffering of the believers and all of humanity who are suffering around the world. Wherever the people are suffering, whether they be Muslim or not, we ask Allah to alleviate the suffering of all of those people who are going through hardships, especially the lovers of Ahlul Bayt, whether they be in Saudi, whether they be in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and many other parts of the world where the believers are suffering. We ask Allah to hasten their deliverance, and we ask Allah to hasten the return of our 12th Imam, Imam Al-Hujjah, and that he can bring about true justice and equality and peace upon this earth. 
رَبَّنَا تَكَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ أَسْمِيرَ الْعَلِيمُ Let us conclude by remembering the marhumin, the deceased from our community, from our family, from our friends, for the ulama who have left this world, for all of the shuhada who have given their blood and their lives for the protection and preservation of this religion of Islam. Surah Mubarakatul Fatiha, but before that, one salawat upon Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إلهي يضم البلاء وبره الخفاء وانكشف الغطاء وانقطع الرجاء وضاقت الأرض ومنيت السماء وأنت المستعان وإليك المشتكى وعليك المؤول في شدتي والرخاء اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وللأمر الذين فرضت علينا طاعتهم وعرفتنا بذلك منزلتهم ففرج عنا بحقهم فرجا عاجلا قريبا كلمح البصر يهو أكرام يا محمد يا علي يا علي يا محمد اكفياني فإنكما كافيان وانصراني فإنكما ناصران يا مولانا يا صاحب الزمان الغاوث 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 أدركني 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 الساعة 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 العجل 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 يا رحم الراحمين بحق محمد وآله الطاهر